everyone and welcome to the Round 22 episode for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome, as always, to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hey, Kate. Round 22, done and dust today and, you know, only three rounds to go. And Round 22 this season was the Women in League round and um, was a great uh, weekend to be involved and we spoke a little bit last week around the jerseys that we wore on the field so yeah, it was an honour and a privilege to be able to to run out in in those jerseys and you know support and you know all the women um, involved with the referee squad um, and have their names on the sides of our jerseys as well as you know like we said a couple of um, images from two of our young female officials um, from one from Queensland and one from from New South Wales. Yeah, it was great. And um, from the games perspective, there was plenty of good events, a um, bunch of different functions going on at all different clubs, um, which was great to great to see, a great celebration all around, um, really showcasing the quality of females within the game. Yeah, and we were fortunate enough on Wednesday last of last week, which sort of we, we touched on, but it was before we had that happened, where we had um, it was probably seven young female referees from across New South Wales and Queensland who came and spent the day with us, Stephen Clark from the um, officiating department here and education department brought those girls in and they spent a bit of time with us. They um, had a tour of the bunker and had a look around at that and then trained at night with us. And, and we sort of, our, our training session for the night, we took it away from us and it wasn't about us learning skills. We actually put it to, to the girls to go out and referee and we ran some, some scrimmage for, for those girls to... D- you know, to get that experience of, of what we do and how we do it and open their eyes a little bit to what is full-time professional officiating. Yeah, a couple of comments during the day was, oh, didn't realise you guys train that hard or how how often in the week do you do that sort of session? Well, oh, three or four times a week. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and just a little bit on that, you know, also during the day, the, the girls got the opportunity to sort of sit down with yourself and Belinda Sharp and ask some questions around, you know, how they go to get to the position you are, some of the you know the, the difficulties it was to to get there and, and stuff like that. So I'm sure they would have learnt some stuff from you. But you know from your point of view, being in that position and being able to impart some of your knowledge. And you know was there anything where questions were thrown at you where you, you know you sort of thought about it and go, oh yeah that's that's a bit different. Um, yeah, there were a few things. What I was impressed with was just the level of maturity from from <coughs> all of the girls, um, and that the questions that they asked weren't the stock standard ones that Belinda and I tend to get generally when we're doing um you know panel things or interviews and and q and a's and what that really showed me was that these um these these girls coming through refereeing are really um experiencing the same things that we experienced and really wanted our knowledge on how to deal with things um whether that be setbacks whether it be criticism um and and a range of other things about um training how we physically got ourselves ready not just now but back when we were were their age um so it's great to see that they're really keen on getting as much information out of us as possible for them to to improve yeah it was great it was great to be able to to be around that and see that on Wednesday and something that the whole squad took a little bit out of. Yeah. Uh, GPS started for this week. We had some good numbers across the board for all three awards. Um, Our marathon runner this week, John Stone. Lost count of how many times he's won this one. Um, 11.3 kilometres as the assist ref in the Sharks and Dragons game. Um, Yeah, yeah, pretty um, tight affair, that one as well. Not a lot of points scored, so... You know, we've mentioned it a lot of times that you know, he doesn't get those 100-metre run backs after tries. So working pretty pretty hard, Johnny Stone. 
yeah, assume that shifting across the back of the ruck and stuff like that, he clocked up quite a bit of Ks um, there. And and being in one ref mode, we discussed those differences when we're in one ref mode. So the, the head ref controlling most of the game means that the assist referee is moving from one side of the ruck um, when they're behind play, when a kick's put downfield, to then getting behind. Um, so f- yeah, for 15, that kick return. Yeah, runs generally yeah. On, on, on kicks. So you'd stay in one ref mode for, for much longer in a, in a tight game. Um, urgency award went to Ricky McFarlane um, in the Manly and Tigers game. I thought this one might have gone to the um, security guard at the Manly game. <laughs> it was a solid warm-up by that security. We talk about some of our guys trying to clock up the Ks in warm-up and if you see some of the footage on social media of the security guard, you know, in, in boots and all ready to go and you know, he, was, he was ready if someone pulled out to, to go and take a couple of hit-ups. I think he was putting a bit of a step on and a shimmy and um, yeah, he looked the goods. He was, he was getting very ready to uh, tackle anyone who might have entered the field. I, th- I think it might have been a ploy so, so that you know, anyone who was thinking it and seeing him thought better of it. Better not. You know, it was like more a deterrent than actually getting prepared. So, you know, <laughs> I'm ready for this, so don't jump that fence. Yeah, well, Ricky um, won that award this week 194 times, um, clocked the high XL cell speeds. It'd be so, filthy that it didn't hit 200. Yeah. It'd be filthy. Um, apart from the security guard that game, I was actually I was out at Brookvale Oval that night for a Women in League um, event, invited invited out there to, to chat, which was a, a, great, um, a great event. And during it... Uh, during the game, we're sitting in the chairman's lounge down that end. Oh, and bloody da, right? Yeah, chairman's lounge. It was lounge. a bit like that. Um, yeah. And another person clocking up the kilometres on the touchline was Oliver Clark from the West Tigers. Everyone in the room was making mention. He did not stop running with the big jacket on and just getting ready to go out on the field. And I don't even know. If, I can't remember if he got out in the first half or it wasn't until the second half. But the bloke did not stop running. He build, it's the same, same as what we do, building up his, his Ks so that through the week he doesn't he have, have to, to train during the week. To get as many Ks out the way, uh, soft Ks as we call them, instead yeah. of the, the hard physical you Ks. And tell Michael, you can tell Michael Maguire's his coach. Yeah. So he's worked out the system all of a Too smart. Too smart. <laughs> um, and our Gazelle of the Week this week, I think he would be very impressed, goes to someone who we're not sure if his name's Nick Morell or Mick Norell. Depends what, when it is. So I've got a theory on this. He's Mick Norell. Mick Norell game day and during the 80 minutes of the game and he's Nick Morell once he's off the once field. Once he's off the field. And you probably want, might need to elaborate on why we, why he has two names. Well, he looks totally different and people watching the game wouldn't wouldn't notice because they would just see him looking like Mick Norell with, with a full head of hair. Luscious flowing locks. <laughs> but uh, outside of that, he, he may look a little bit different outside of the 80 minutes. The, the but, graphite powder gets a, a but, solid workout. <laughs> Nick slash Mick um, went re- really well this week. He clocked 31.2k 0.25k's an hour as the touch judge in the Sharks and Dragons game as well and um, I didn't get to look at the the data or find out but I'm guessing there was um, a couple of uh, flyers who broke away during that game and um, and that was Nick's second appointment for the weekend as well because he also ran the touchline on the Gold Coast for um, my game on Friday night so um, like we say, obviously preparing well so he can get to those top speeds and, and looking after himself in between games. Yeah, it's quite impressive. Um, so speaking of your game last weekend um, and heading into your game this weekend is quite a big occasion. Um, and I didn't originally tell you that we were going to speak about this on the on the podcast, but it's definitely worth, um, worth having, having a chat about because you become only the third referee in history. So not just in the NRL, but NRL... ARL, New South Wales, when it was a, you know, the top grade. Um, just the third referee in history to referee 350 games, um, which you'll do this weekend. Um, so that's a- absolutely amazing. Um, so I just wanted to sort of have a bit of a chat to you about what would you see as your highlights and lowlights 
of your career? Um, what does the weekend mean to you? And I guess what are the things that got you to to this weekend? What's gotten you through 349 games? Um, yeah, uh, pretty humbled actually, you know, to, to think about it because I look at some of the, the referees that I sort of, not look up to, there's not really reference, but the, the guys that have dug the well in the history of the game and your Cole Pierces, Jack Danzy, Laurie Breers, you know, Billy Harrigan, you know, Stephen Clark, those guys, and I don't put myself in their category. You know, I, I just can't fathom, can't see myself as being, as you know, at the same level as those guys. But, you know, you look at pure numbers and, you know, the n- numbers say that I am. But, yeah, I just, I still don't feel comfortable enough to sort of have, you know, feel like I'm part of... A, of that class so yeah it's quite humbling um one thing i always say about you know any milestone that i get is that you know what i've out of the 350 i've never taken one for granted you know i mean every opportunity as firstly as a rugby league fan and as a kid who grew up loving rugby league to be able to go out and do what i do week in week out you know i never take that for granted because firstly if you'd have said to me you know when i first started refereeing that you know i'd referee one first grade game i'd sort of give you a bit of a funny look. Um, but to say that I've done 350, just, you know, it, it, it's, it's quite remarkable. And um, like I say, I, I, I don't take it for granted because I know there are so many people out there that probably more talent than me that never never got the opportunity to do one. And there's so many people that work just as hard, if not harder than me, that are itching to get the opportunity to do one. So, yeah, for me, it's, it's you know, the gratitude that I've, I was, you know, someone had whether it be the courage or just the nows to put my name down each week to, to, to referee those games. Um, one of the big things for me out of it, when you talk about what it means to me, um, it means to me like sort of more off the field than on the field. Like, you know, 350 appointments, is, you know, that they're, they're games of football and what we do is subjective and, you know, any, you know who, who knows um, if, if I'm good enough to referee 350 games. Um, someone else makes that decision for me. But what it does do for me is, considering I've done 350 games, never refereed a grand final, never refereed an origin, never refereed a test match. I haven't done all the big games. But to for people to keep me around for that long must mean that I'm doing something right off the field. Mm. Um, so I think it says a lot about, you know, for me, I'm more proud of the fact that longevity more than the number of games because it says I think that says a fair bit about what I want to be seen as character-wise yeah. um, and that I add value. You know, I'm someone that adds value around the office or to the squad in, in general. So, yeah, my greatest achievement isn't 350 games. My greatest achievement in refereeing is longevity, yeah. is the fact that I'm still there that's after good, so many seasons. Yeah, and that's a really good point to make because you think about back when you came into the squad and when you when you debuted, um, the different coaching coaches and coaching regimes that you've gone through and the different um, squads that you've gone through as the squads obviously evolved over time and over years um, for you to hold yourself in the level that you're at and continue to maintain yourself as an NRL official um, just speaks volumes for um, you know for your character um, like you say obviously you've got the ability to have done that but it's also just your, your character that people want you around and that you push other people to um, you know to be better. Yeah, and, and you talk about the highs and the lows, and I've had probably you know similar similar vein. If you look at the people that have had the the careers that I've had, um, generally there's a l- very limited lows. Um, I've had a lot. You know, I've spent a lot of time in reserve grade. I've been dropped, you know, for di- varying reasons over the years. Probably more than anyone else that's done probably over 200 games. You know, so resilience and the and the ability to fight back and the ability to to have the 
you know, understanding of what I do well and how I do it well to continue to do that. Um, Another big thing around it is the, you know, around the, the pride of, of what I do is from you know the people that know me from when I was a kid and, and know my background and have been around and, and you know the, my friends from back then um, the the way that they interact with me and and, and the pride they have in, in me achieving something sort of that that's something that I, I really cherish and the fact that um, you know sort of getting a little bit deep here but uh, earlier in the year around Christmas time I sort of came out as a survivor of, of child abuse and. The amount of people that I've been able to impact since then, because of where I am in the game, I think, you know, that that's my greatest achievement out, out, out of everything. The fact that, you know, there's a couple of people that have contacted me, and I'm sort of doing a little bit of work with just and and you know, I'm not going to mention names or anything like that, um, because this is something that you know, I mean, stuff that you don't even know about. That, you know, I just you know, just a, a comment here or there, or they just contact me when they're feeling a bit down, you know, because they've had similar ex experiences to me, and the fact that that they feel that. I've got something to give them back. Really, you know, that to me thinks that this little platform that I've been given off the back of being lucky enough to do something that I love for a long period of time and then have that impact and be able to help somebody else, you know, when they're in, in, a, in a dark stage, yeah, I think for me, that's my greatest achievement out of 350 yeah, games. Definitely something to be um, to be extremely proud of. And yeah, to, obviously I'm always going to sound biased if I'm giving, <laughs> if I'm giving you a rap, but um, yeah, to know your... Where, where you've come from, um, you know, your, your upbringing, what you've been through and where you've gotten to. Um, it is absolutely amazing and you deserve to be incredibly, inc incredibly proud of what you've achieved. So very much looking forward to this weekend getting out. Usually at the end of the podcast, we talk about what we're doing this weekend. But um, do you want to tell everyone where you're referring this weekend? Yes, I'm down in Shark Park. I've got the um, Cronulla Warriors, Warriors game at three o'clock on Saturday. Yeah. So hopefully it's supposed to be a really nice day. So yeah. hopefully... Um, I, you know, all the family can get out there without worrying about being too cold and wet. Yeah. One thing I do want to top on, on the back of that, so we've been together for quite a, a long time now and I've got no doubt that a big part of why I'm still refereeing at the level I am at the age I am is because of my physical abilities and I wouldn't be able to do that if I wasn't married to you and the, the amount that you push me and the amount that I want to be better because of, of what you do and how, how hard you train and how hard you work, um, I'd be embarrassed if I didn't work as hard as that. So um, I don't know if I would have done that if you weren't around. So... A, a, a fair chunk of this. We may need to stop with the lovey-dovey yeah, stuff. It's not why this, people I, listen to this podcast. I, I do owe to you, but yeah, well, while I've got this platform, I'm going to take it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I don't so, speak nice of you often, so <laughs> take it. So we're really looking forward to family and friends getting out there on, on Saturday to, to Shark Park and any uh, listeners or any fans who, who are out there, maybe... Um, Give some cheers this weekend instead of <laughs> instead of boost to Gav. In, in saying that, I, I, I speak very fondly of my 300s and, and, yeah. and the crowd and, and, and the club at Penrith because um, I was at, at Penrith Park and you know I, I had no idea what to expect that day because there was a fair bit of media around it leading in um, and yeah the, the way that the Penrith fans and, bo and both fans on that day and and the Penrith club sort of embraced it. Um, it yeah, I really cool. enjoyed it. So if, yeah. if it's anything like that, then yeah, happy days. Excellent. All right, so let's look back to what just happened in the in the week that was. And um, coincidentally, both incidents that we're going to talk about came out of uh, my game on, from the weekend on the Melbourne and Canberra game, which, lucky enough, you flew down to Melbourne, so you were sitting in the crowd and you got to watch both of these. So the first one we're going to talk about was a scrum clock incident. We spoke about scrum clocks earlier in the year and shot clocks and when buzzers go off and why does nothing happen and all, and all the rest of it. And this was an incident which was the process was exactly what the scrum clock was made for. 
um, the buzzer went off and someone had to go off the field. Yeah, so in those situations where so there's, pl there's plenty of different scenarios that can happen with um, at scrums where the, the process we have is as soon as the scrum's called, so we have the knock-on, the kick-out, um, as a team, on-field officials, we sort of check the field. Because if anyone's listening to sports is you'll hear all up, which is the touch judge, the assist referee and the referee looking around and making sure that every player is on their feet. So we say all up. If there's players that are down or, or in, the, in hands the hands of, of a trainer, trainer, we will mention that. Because what happens if all players are up, then the shot clock starts. So we, so we don't all start up, the yes, shot. yes, yes. All right, shot clock on. Yeah, so the shot clock at the scrum doesn't start as soon as the knock-on's called. The shot clock starts once the referees or all the officials on field then deem that everyone is in a position to play. Yep. So everyone's up. And and when the referee says clock on or shot clock on or scrum clock on, we're wired into the um, timekeeper. to the timekeeper and the timekeeper presses that button. So yep. it's got nothing to do with us on field or no, anything like that. Yeah, we, An independent person in the timekeeper pushes the button, which is what comes up on the screen at the ground and they've got it on the TV. Yeah, so the timekeeper well. isn't the judge of when the clock starts either. That's totally on us on field. But they then keep the, keep the time. Um, so in a situation where everyone's up, clock starts, we pack the scrum. If a player was to then go down post that, so say a player then realises they're injured or for, you know, gets a cramp or, or something happens post the shot clock starting, yep. well then the, the, the referee will allow the shot clock to run out. Once that clock goes to zero, the buzzer will sound. Yep. Okay, if the player is in the hands of a trainer, it's not a penalty. So what we do then is we stop the clock, stop the time, and that player who is down injured now has to go off the field and can't come back on the field until they get the ball back or they make an interchange. Yep. So they either, either have, the, the club either has to burn an interchange to bring someone else on. Or put that player back on the field. Yes, uh, yeah. Or, <laughs> or that player can go straight yeah. back on, but they burn an interchange. Yes. Or they can just treat the player off the, off the field and then as soon as he's ready, as soon as they get the ball back, he can go back on. Yep. So if they're feeding the scrum... Technically, he can go back on as soon as they win the scrum. Yep. If the other team's got the ball, they have to wait until they get the ball. The reason we have this is to stop the time wasting, more, more or less. The players that used to sort of go down and feign injury, um, you know, we're not doctors on the field. So, you know, we, we, we don't make a decision on, you know, that's a cramp, this guy's just knackered or, you know, this guy's legitimately, legitimately injured. So the best way to do that is to say, well, if he's, if he's injured, you know, you take him off and you can bring him on. A couple of factors around that as well. So if they are the team receiving receiving the ball and he's out of play, we can pack with five players. Yep. So we don't have to wait until he gets back in. Because he's in an onside position. position. He's behind everyone. And he's not going to come in to yeah, play. He's not in fear of any uh, more um, danger as well. So if they're out the back, um, we can then play with, with 12 players and then he can rejoin whenever. Yep. So they're, they're the factors around if the siren goes off when a player goes down after the shot clock. Yep. So in this incident, what happened was that the shot clock was called on, the yep. clock was on because all players were up. Dynamis Louis then goes down after the shot clock. And at first it looks like he's playing with his boot laces or something. Because that then, happens sometimes. They go happens, down and tie yep. their shoelace up, you're not sure. Yep. And then... Um, and then the trainer comes on and uh, one referee's at the scrum, the other referee goes to sort of check on him, buzzer goes off. Ben Cummins goes over, tells the um, tells Dynamis and the trainer that he has to go off the field. They had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah, and that's a thing around a lot of these, like, rules. The trainers sometimes aren't, aren't across them where, really, they should be the ones who know 100%. And, you know, people talk about 
you know, us getting things wrong, this is a, a pretty big thing for a trainer because that is their job mm. to know that if this happens, this is what I've got to do. If this happens, so they can't, you know, if the trainer knows that if it's only a minor thing and they might lose a player for a set or two, he will then tell the player to get up. Yeah. If he knows the rules, because otherwise we're going to lose you, yeah. or we have to, you know, use an interchange. So, yeah, to me, if I'm one of the trainers, I want to know all all the rules. So in this case, that was a bit confusing. Yeah. So there's that scenario we can say, well, the referees can go up and sort of go, come on, you, you either have to get up or you're going off the field and pr- prompt them. Which there are occasions where we I, do that where it's yeah, possible. Ideally, we ideally we can sort of do that, but then you sort of go, well, also, well, you know what the rules are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's on you as well. So bit of a philosophical thing as to what the best way to go is but what happened is that Dynamis um walked off the field goes to walk off the field but then still stays just almost like where almost like where a winger would be yeah just inside there and the, tu- the, the touch, touch judge on that side Nick Beach was just saying to him no you've got to come off the field you can't go back on the field until your team get the ball back yeah and it was just yeah they just couldn't chaotic. Yeah, a bit chaotic and sort of couldn't un- couldn't understand it, but um, yeah, that's the, that's what the rule is, and it worked per- worked perfect perfectly there. You, you had another one which was a bit um, different to that because it's not really a, a scrum clock issue, but you also had where you had a, a player who was temporarily suspended, so ten minutes in the bin, who when his time was up was coming on when there was a scrum. So at that stage, Canberra have five in the yep. scrum because they're you know they're down to twelve players, so they don't need a lock. Yep. So then he comes on and the scrum's about to be formed yeah. and now technically they can't play because now they've got too many backs. Yeah. So, so you want to sort of talk through that one because it was that, that was heightened as well. And it was just terrific the- timing, that one, <laughs> um, of, of when a player's um, simbin time ran out. So, yeah, as you said, so the rule around scrums and how many players are in the scrum and how many players are in the back line and all that is that you can't have more than seven backs. Yes. So if you've got how six, many in the scrum if yep. you've only got seven. So you've backs. got six people in the scrum, which means you've got seven backs. You've got your half back there and then six people in the line, which are your seven backs. If you've got to play a simbind or sent off or whatever, you can still pack six into the scrum if you want to. That's yep. absolutely fine. If you wish to have six and because for whatever push reason, or whatever. push whatever. Um plan move or something. Yeah, and then you've got six and then you've got six backs. Or you can have you maintain your seven backs and not have a lock. Yeah. So there's no minimum number there that have to be in the scrum. No. Um, from there's that a point. maximum number, obviously, of, yeah, uh, of, six, of six. But there's no minimum number but the there. Rule, yeah, the rule states, the rule around it is you can't have more than seven yeah. backs. So in like you said, in this scenario, Canberra packing with five. I had a gauge of when the Simbin player would come back on because it's just part of our process is to sort of know roughly what time of the game they were Simbin'd for these sorts of incidents, so we know when well if on. there's going to be a scrum. Well, you were the touch judge on the side, and of I was unaware that player was going to return yeah. to the game because so, you need to know. You, you, you need to know when players come back on. Yeah, so I had a rough idea of of when a player would be coming back onto the field, and then I'd noticed at a different break in play up on the big screen, it was like the TV at home where it's it, the, it, it's got the, the time. time of how much time is remaining of the sin bin player, and I'd. I'd seen that a bit earlier, maybe a minute or two earlier, so I knew we were getting close. And then the ball was whatever happened, it was knocked on or whatever. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a scrum, so I thought, all right, I'll have a little look. And there was however long to go, you know, 20 seconds or 30 seconds. So I knew, geez, we're going to come close here. Um, so I tipped the referees and said that the player's going to come back on the field. Um, you sort of hope that the scrum... You wanted to pack and, 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 and out before the player comes yeah. on. 
Um, it took a bit longer for the and then and the scrum had to be pulled up. I don't know if the ball didn't come out correctly or whatever. Yeah, I had think to, there was like um, players yeah. kicking across. And yeah, it was, there, it was there, was, there was something sort of going on. So originally, when the scrum was packed, they only had to have five on. But then, in the meantime, the Simbin clocks expired. He's running onto the to the field, and I've got to say, no, 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 you've got to get six in. And so, thankfully, that all it all happened, and, and we got it sorted. But yeah, it would be in a bit of trouble if he only had five. Then they end up shifting, and we have an overlap because they've got eight players in the back line, and they make a break or they score a try or something. Then would be in a world of hurt. They're, they're so, the ones we can't defend as officials when people just go, "Well, there's eight players." There. Yeah, how did that happen? But but, but it's one of those things be... of going, yeah. If if it makes it very hard if I'm not look, if I didn't happen to have a little break when nothing else was happening. Like, there could have been other times where another player's injured or something else is happening. Or you could be calling players back on the 10 metres exactly because that's right. your role there as well and he comes on uh, onto the field from yeah. behind you and you don't even know he's on there. Exactly right. So in this scenario, it just unfolded where I happened to be able to know that. Um, that's not always going to be the case and that that's where it, hopefully people sort of understand how many things we're doing at that stage and how it can um, be missed. And, and this is the thing we've spoken about over the last couple of years as a squad where scrums and goal line dropouts and stuff, you used to have that 30, 40 seconds as a referee to sort of compose yourself and would it's say, a, would call a little it bit of downtime where you're not making decisions and not a lot's happening, you just, everyone's coming together where now with scrum clocks, shot clocks you know, and, and the sorts it's now a period where you're still in decision-making mode because you've still got a lot to do, um, and especially it, and around the scrums. And it's high pressure as well because you're in decision-making mode under time pressure, under time pressure because yeah. you know you've got the clocks going. Yeah, so that's where it's evolved over time to try and make the games, you know, sped up and more ball-in-play time. It's put a little bit more pressure um, on our decision-making, which is what we're trying to do and yeah. we do it well. Um, off the back of that, what we just spoke about, which is sort of leads into what we wanted to speak about next around, you know, you had a couple of Simbins in... in in the game on, on the weekend. So there's two against the same team. And yeah. You, so, yeah, you, you yeah, want to sorry. explain it because it, it puts, it's very rare that you have two at two different times in the game. So that's a team playing for 20 minutes of an 80 minute game with 12 players. And it puts a lot of pressure on the officials in that situation because of the game situation. We talk about situational stress and having two players from the same team simbin in one game um, puts a lot of situational stress on, on, on the officials. Yeah, absolutely, and especially when they were back-to-back. So not like we had a simbin in the 10th minute and yeah. then a simbin in the 60th minute. Um, this is was highly unusual, but we were maybe three minutes into the game and there's a, a penalty against Canberra and they Melbourne take a quick tap, maybe 12 metres out from the goal line, so yeah. where they're entitled to. And Jack Whiten tackles the player uh, after about three, two, yeah, it was three metres three or metres. something. It, so it's just it, a mandatory, absolute if mandatory If you're going to have a mandatory sim bin, that's it. Yep. Uh, there's, nothing, there's not an easier sim bin for an official to make. That, yeah. That's one of the easiest decisions we've got to make. Yep. So he's sim binned. So he goes off the field. So he comes back onto the field at whatever it was, like the 13th minute mark. About two minutes after that, we have a scrum, which there was a little scuffle sort of incident and um, Joseph um, Tappanay was um, simbin for striking. striking. Which is another one. It's a mandatory simbin. Mandatory simbin. So, again, it's not discretional. It's discretional. It's not discretionary. professional foul. It's not or... professional foul. It's not repeated infringements. You, it's you, not we, a debatable one. Yeah, we couldn't really. stand there on the field and go, oh, no, really, game situation, we don't want to simbin. Which is... It's out of your hands. Yep. So, effectively, in the first 25 minutes of the game, like you said, Canberra are playing with 12 players, which, one, is highly unusual, but, two, 
like you said, it does put pressure on you in multiple areas because you know that, oh, geez, there's going to be pressure on us. We've, we always want to get decisions right. Of course we do. But very similar to it being 12 war with a minute to go in the game or two minutes to go in the game, you know that every decision you make is really super, super critical and important. We also knew that that whole 20 minutes, every decision we made was crucial because you give away one soft pen. It might even be a correct penalty, but it might be lower on the scale. And all of a sudden, Melbourne are kicking up field and attacking the goal line against 12 players. What um, that, but, yeah. but conversely, you also can't just let Canberra get away with whatever, exactly right. whatever they want because they're down a player. Otherwise, there's no... Um, there's no well, it's unjust. Re- yeah, there's no reason for a team to not concede um, penalties that lead to sim bins because they go, oh, well, it doesn't matter because we can do whatever we want for the next 10 minutes while the player is off the field. So we talk about keeping our standards. So for that whole 20 minutes and after that as well, for the remainder of the game, we've still got to keep our standards where we need them to be to get a good game of football, which we did. It was a good game of football. And, it was a really and you good talk game about Canberra, Canberra then coming back from that and, and, and winning the game. We've got to make sure that we don't succumb to the pressure that you you, you internalise this pressure and think, geez, one, I really want to get decisions right, but two, I don't want scrutiny on me and well, all these other thoughts that come into your head. Well, the nature of the beast in what we do is that the external pressure can be the biggest pressure. Internally, we, we follow processes and we know that we've done what we were meant to do and, and, and how we do it and we continue to officiate and just officiate what happens in front of us. But once you have a situation like this which is out of the box it then puts the magnifying glass on the officials externally. You know what I mean? So you've got, you've got to really be perfect from that point on because mm-hmm. anything outside of perfect yeah. is sort of, especially if it goes against the same, it continually that, goes against the, the perception can be that, you know, this team's been dudded. That's what, exactly you know what, what I was going to say. So, so you've and, got and, two... and that's not the case, but perception can be reality at stages yeah. and, and, so, and that's where you sort of head down the path that heads down. Yeah, so that's where – that, that was a really good point because you've got the two – as much as the two Simbins were, were absolutely mandatory as, as we discussed, the perception can be that things are going against one team. So then all of a sudden, if after that 20-minute – if by the 30-minute mark you get a decision wrong, whether it's a penalty, whether it's a knock-on, a forward pass, whatever it is, and it just happens to be against Canberra – in that whole game, you have that one wrong decision, but people pile that on top of the fact that Canberra had two yeah, all, players simbin, and all team. of a sudden it looks like... I've been in that situation before, and I've been dropped from first grade uh, in situations like that. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it happens. It happens. So, you know, it, it's sometimes it's unfortunate, and sometimes it's just, you know, the, the way the game falls. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and that, that's... Yeah, you know, as officials on field, we don't generally don't sort of feel that during the game. We just go out and do what we do because it's just another decision we've made. And especially in this situation where, you know, you'd know that you're a hundred percent right in 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 those two decisions, which well, are the big ones. So well, th- this one that is makes a, it a, a bit easier. I was just going to say this did make as much as it was unusual. And I'm speaking from the touch judge perspective, not the referees who are in the middle of it on on the field and having to deal with the players and stuff as well in terms of that player communication. But it was unusual and there is that little bit of pressure, but it's also not as 
as much pressure as something that might have been a discretionary. If you'd had two professional fouls in bins yeah. or something like that. Or repeated. Repeated infringements. If you'd had repeated infringements into a prof- or a professional foul sim bin, so a player's jagged back in scoring a try into all of a sudden a team that that same team then concedes three or four penalties on the bounce in the space of two or three minutes, that's pressure. Because okay. then it's like, geez, I'm now about to sim bin someone on a discretionary thing when they've already got someone in the bin. Or legit, yes. And, and knowing that you're yeah. doing your job correctly. Um, it just, it, it's just it, at the level and the scrutiny that we're at, that's they're, they're the pressures that we're that under. That you have to deal with, yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, for majority of occasions, you know, we, we do that really well. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, as a team, the four of us came out of that game really well. Um, you know, Benny and Ziggy refereed very well and those standards were, were kept at a really good a good level and a good game of football came out of it and what a massive win for Canberra. Yeah, and as a fan sitting in the crowd on that one, um, and we watch a lot of footy and, and, you know, we probably over-scrutinise the officials sometimes when we're sitting at home watching and, you know, you, you see situations and you feel, you think, oh, I really feel for those guys that that's, this is a really tough situation. Watching that game, I didn't have that feeling. Yeah. You know, I mean, as a referee f- sort of fan sitting on the sideline watching the game, you know, trying to watch it as a fan but also, you know, f- knowing how you guys would be feeling out there. I didn't get the feeling that at any stage during that game it would have felt, for lack of a better word, uncomfortable and, you know, you know the, 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 that pressure cylinder yeah. sort of squeezing in on you. It, it didn't feel like that um, outside because, like I said, they, they were quite obvious sin bins sort of out of your control. Yeah. And the fact that you know the rest of the game sort of they both both teams played some quality football and you know it's the reason why those two sides are, are up the top up of the, the competition top. ladder and, and you know will be there at the back end of the season. Exactly right. All right, moving on to our listener question for this week, we had someone ask us how are NRL referees evaluated. So we had quite a few. I've had a number of people ask me variations of this question: How do you get assessed? How are you evaluated? Or um, how are you? coached how do they know who's going well who's not so we thought we'd sort of answer this question of just week in week out uh how do we get evaluated and what's our debrief process like yeah so i could talk about this for three hours because it can be we won't talk for three hours but (laughs) but it it, um because it 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 can be you know there's a fair amount to it but to break it down sort of as as quickly and as you know as, as easily as possible our debrief process starts probably 40 minutes post game oh it starts straight after the game when we walk in the dressing room we have a a a for lack of a better word, like a hot debrief between the team. You know, how'd we go? What do we think we did well? Just as a team without knowing the big decisions and stuff like a that. Lot. Just how did we feel our communication and yep. stuff like that. Along so, with the person at the ground who's our match, match day, day coach. coach. So, and, and we'll go through and, and they'll, you know, we try and be as honest as we can where if I think, you know, that someone in the team hasn't performed to what they needed or there's a decision that I didn't agree with, I'll say it. Mm. Um, a match day coach will do the same. We'll all do the same with each other. Then about 40 minutes post-game, we get what we call our game plan, game plan clips. So on our phones and, and iPads, we've got an app which is game plan. So any decision we make in the game, so we've got two folders in, this, in these clips. So any decision we make, generally all the correct ones and, and the easier ones to identify if they're right or wrong, is in one folder. So it could be you know, every knock-on, every penalty we blow, um, every um, try that's scored. They're every, all broken every down. Every forward pass called. Every, every call. Everything that we might have cleared to play on from yeah. as well. So all the decisions in the game, they're in one folder and we have all the angles relevant from the bunker on that. Mm-hmm. So we can get four angles at a time so you can look at all the angles so you can look at your, not only the decision but your positioning when you made yep. that decision. Then we have another file which is called discussion clips, generally between you know, five to 15 depending on how many tight calls you have in the game, which are clips that are sent out from the bunker which are debatable. 
Yep. Some of them could be just outright errors, yep. but they go in that discussion clip because we discuss why we made them, and then others will be. There could know, be context co- around it. So, okay, here's a ruck that is slowish, but what's the context yeah. of, of of that? Yeah. Um, was a player tangled in? Was the ball carrier milk? What stage of the game were we at? Yeah, and there's also a lot of decisions, you know, you know, contests for balls and there's little bobbles and, yeah. okay, is, you know, was this knocked on? And we'll, you know, Forward passes thing. a lot of the Forward time can passes. go into that folder. Um, and we have all the angles out of the bunker that we sort of um, we look at. So in those discussion clips before our, we get into our debrief on the Monday as a group, um, Bernie Sutton, the coach, will then make comment on each one of his opinion on them. Yeah. Um, generally, his opinion is the one that matters because he's the coach, but it's also open for discussion on Monday. But he'll comment on them before you go into your debrief. So you know going in where his head is at. And if you disagree, then you have the right yep. to sort of say, I did. Uh, I don't agree because of this, this, this. Yep. And there are occasions where he looks at it and goes, you know what, you're right. Yep. As any coach would do, they give their opinion and if you can sway them, yep. um, you and take we, a win. And we have decisions within the, not the discussion points folder, but the other one that are called um, supported, decisions. supported decisions. So there are sometimes ones where you go, there's just not an angle of it or you can't conclusively see it. So the re- and generally that comes down to, well, was the referee or the touch judge in the right position and was the call made you know, yeah, confident, like, strong, like confident str- strong, confident. Then they'll support that decision. Yeah, so that's yeah about forty minutes post game. We have that. Um, so then the next process is Monday morning. So it depends what day you referee. So you, you have the weekend. So for me, if I referee on a Thursday or Friday, there are many weekends where I won't then watch my game until Sunday night. Um, varying factors. Um, if I'm in Sydney and then I, you know, I want to enjoy my weekend, and I've got things planned for the weekend, you know, I'd much rather just leave it till Sunday night because I've got the time when we get home and we sit down and we've got a couple of hours spare. It usually takes between three and four hours to, to get through the game. Um, you know, I'll do it then so it doesn't take a chunk out of my weekend. If I'm on a travel game, um, I'll do it in the hotel room in the morning or after the game. I'll get bits done. I'll do it in, in, in chunks um, for the same reason that I'm away and I've got the time to do it and I, I, you know, I might get that done in, at the airport and on the plane so it's all done by the time I get back. So I can enjoy my weekend. But what that process is then, I then go through and watch my game. We have another program called Analyzer on our computers where I can cut clips and put comments on. I save a playlist and then I send that to the rest of my team. So that'll be based around generally the stuff I've done well, the stuff I need to do better and anything I need to query. Yep. So usually, match day coach. Again, it depends on the game, but usually we'll cut somewhere from 15 to 35. 40, 50 40 clips. Cl- depend- 40 clips. It just depend- depends what happens in the game. So I, generally for me, and, and others do it differently, but for me, anything that's already on that game plan list, I don't then clip again because it would be just doubling up on yep. what we're already going to discuss. So that's m- my process before I... And that has to be done before I get into work Monday morning. So Monday morning, you know, depending on whether I referee Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, depends what time I then have to get in Monday. And we sit down with the match day coach or our post-game coach. So, that so sometimes someone, our post-game coach is not the same person as our match day coach. Sometimes it is. Yeah. yeah. So whoever my coach is, my post-game coach for that game, he will have or she would have done the same thing I've done, cut all the clips, have them ready. Each of our team members would have all their clips. So we go and sit down in a meeting. We go through all the game plan stuff and decide, yep, correct, yep, incorrect. We could have been better here. Yep. Yes, it's correct, but we got lucky. Or yes, it's correct, but we could have used better comms. Yeah, you know, there's varying factors around how we get better. It's always about getting better. And then... You know, Bernie will come in and, and finish off the, the clips that he's commented on and, and you'll say, where are we at with them? And we'll go, yeah, we agree with your comment on six of them, but there's two or three comments that we want to discuss. So we put them up there and then and we then look we at them and we have that discussion. We go through them as a group. 
Um, and then we come to a final conclusion as a group. Uh, obviously, the head coach makes the final decision. Yep. If he thinks it is what it is, then you know you deal with that. Um, then we, we we sit down with our our coach and go through the rest of the clips. So a lot of it will be coaching. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it will be movements and you know uh, because we've already got the, because we've already signed off on the decisions. Mm-hmm. You know we're not wasting time on a Monday saying right, wrong and, yeah. and arguing the point and debating them. Was that a strip? Done. Was it knock on? Was it forward? Was it back? It was in the past, which we've done, and we spent two hours in a debrief and got no coaching mm. because the whole thing was debating decisions. Um, because as, as we are, you know, once you're invested in something, you want to be right. And sometimes when it's tight calls, you always want to be right, so you, you argue your point. Where now they're all signed off on, we know what we're done, so we can spend that. We, we, sort of we very rarely look at a decision as a gr- like in that debrief and say, were we right or were we wrong? We already know. We already know. Yep. So the hour that we sort of spend together, we try and limit them to an hour now. So, you know, when you've got meetings that go over an hour, you start mm-hmm. to lose focus. I know I do. I haven't got the greatest attention span in the world. Um, yeah, we sort of we go through that and then sign off on, on, on our coaching. And off the back of that, then we go, okay, what did we do well? Continue to do next week. And what can we improve on to, to, to so be we better? Call, so we call that our maintain and improve. So at the end, um, your coach will say to you, all right, Badge, all right, Casey, watch your maintain and improve for next week out of that game. And that's a simple thing that our grassroots referees can do as, as well is, yeah, you don't have all the technology of all the video stuff, but think about your game and go, okay, well, what did I do well? Or what did my coach say that I did well? And what do I need to improve on? And think about that then heading into your next game. So we'll then use that. So from round 22 leading into round 23, we then also at the end give ourselves uh, a score. score yeah. So for um, it's out of five for... For touch judges, it's for core competencies, communication and positioning. For referees, it's communication, positioning. Four pillars. Four pillars, which is our main, like, 10 metres, markers, rucks, that sort of stuff. And uh, positioning. I think I said positioning. Oh, did you? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, core comp- uh, it's positioning, four pillars... Uh, game control. Game control. Yeah, that's the other one. Um, and you give yourself a, a mark out of five. Um, that'll go to your post-game coach. If they agree with that, it stays on your evaluation forms, on that Excel sp- spreadsheet with all the comments of all the clips. Um, if the post-game coach thinks that, oh, you rated yourself too high, they might come back to you and say, hey, did you consider this, this or this? And you'll or have that discussion. Or vice mate, versa, they'll say, low. mate, you gave yourself a three. Really, I think you were really good. I'm, I'm going to bump it up to a four or to a five. Yeah. We then as a team also have a whiteboard in the office where we have a colour system for that game. So you might have refereed really, really well yourself, but someone else on your team made an error which was really costly for the game, which means that your colour your color for that game might change. So colour systems, we've got four different colours. The first one is green. So Green's, no dramas, green, good performance. Green, you just well and there's no issues in the game. Blue is that there, you generally refereed well, but there was a decision... Or a couple of decisions that it's generally a tight decision could have that's affected affected the game either a affected bit. or could have affected the game. We got lucky that there was a thirty points differential, so it didn't that matter in this game. Yeah. But we need to be better. Um, similar to or to orange. Uh, orange where, is based around errors. If you've yeah. got quite a f- if you've got more than two say two errors in the game, two or three errors, it's um generally you get you, it's going to drop your score because yeah. our core competency is getting decisions right. And then red is when we've had what we call a critical error, so something that's led to points and it really affects an outcome of of the game. So we called something a strip instead of a knock on, um, which leads to a penalty, a team kick for goal, so they score points off it, and there was a two point margin. Yeah in the game, for example. So we have the rating system for the team, 
from that game, plus our individual rating system, plus that Excel spreadsheet, which has everything that happened within that game and all that coaching point, those coaching points. So that's how we get evaluated. So there's a fairly thorough um, system there, both for yourself individually and for your team. Um, and that's what our coaches then use um, week in, week out to sort of work out, well, who's ranked where, who's going well, who's not, what are we struggling with, what are we going well with as a group and as individuals um, to then continue to coach us and to, for us to you know, continue to get better week in, week out. Yeah, and all that's done by end of Monday. So end of yesterday, round 22 is done. Yep. So everything now going forward is based on getting ready for round, for round 23. 23. So Monday finishes off round yep. 22. Wednesday so the, starts yeah. round so 23. So the only thing that we take from round 22 to round 23 is our maintain, maintain and improve. improve. So if I'm with a different team next week, um, diff, if I'm different referees, and all, so I take with me my main in, maintain and improve and I, I let the rest of my team know so they know what I'm looking Work. at being better at so they can help me and what I'm doing well so that might help. And what them. you know what they're working on or what they're yeah, looking for as well. Everyone knows where we're at. Yeah. Sweet. Um, all right, so we already spoke about what you're up to this weekend. So massive, once again, massive achievement, 350 games, Cronulla versus Warriors, Saturday, 3 p.m. at Points Bet, Points Bet Stadium. Stadium. It sounds so unnatural to say that. Shark Park. Ende Endeavour Field. <laughs> Endeavour Field. <laughs> it would have been called that back when you did your it first was. game. I, I actually played on it uh, oh, in the um, state knockout and it was Endeavour Field. Unlimited tackle count? I was on, no, it wasn't. <laughs> I was under 12, though. Um, and on Friday night in Brisbane for Brisbane and South, South yeah. which will be great on the touchline. And then quick trip to fly back to watch your game and then fly back up to Queensland to referee a Queensland Cup game on Sunday. So pretty busy weekend. Never stops. <laughs> um, so as always, we'd like to encourage you to join our Facebook and Instagram pages. And our Facebook page is NRL Officiating and Instagram handle is <coughs> at NRL Officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with what's been happening in the world of rugby league officials across the country from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you have any questions for us, make sure you send us a message on either Gavin or my um, Twitter pages and or on, or on the Instagram page. And we'll make sure to add it to the list to answer on this podcast. And if you're interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. And thank you for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.